Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purple Stars podcast. I'm Sarah, your host, and we're so thrilled about today's guest. She's a veterinary oncologist, author, nationwide lecturer, and above all, she is a kind, inspiring warrior. Please welcome Dr. Rini Alsarov. Oh, my goodness, Sarah. It is my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. We're really excited. Renee, we read in your book that since a little girl, you wanted to become a vet. So I'm very curious about your journey because there's one thing about dreaming about it and another to be a senior vet oncologist at the world's largest nonprofit animal hospital. So I wonder, like, how did you close the gap from dreaming about it to becoming um, and being at the place where you are right now? Right. So I have wanted to be a veterinarian since the age of seven. I have never wavered. And truth be told, so many people tried to talk me out of it, including my own father, right? So that was sort of hard. I heard it's really hard to get into veterinary school. It's harder than getting into human medical school. You won't make that much money. You know, you can always just have a lot of animals. But I never ever let it dissuade me. I think for me, being a veterinarian is so much more than a job. It's more than even a profession. It's part of my identity and and something that I was called to do. Uh, I really, really do. And then I was I went to Michigan State University where there is a veterinary school. And, and I do actually recommend that to people who are listening and maybe contemplating going to veterinary school because I was able to work in a special coagulation lab within the university. And I was able to work just as, a, as an undergrad student in the vet school. So they got to know me. I got to know the program. I was fortunate to, to go there for veterinary school. And one summer between sophomore and junior year, I did an externship, so a summer, uh, a summer job in New York City at the Animal Medical Center where I am today. And this is, you know, an eight-story building. We see over 60,000 cases a year. As you have said, largest nonprofit animal hospital in the world. It changed the trajectory of my career and my life. They had all of these specialties for animals, and I immediately was drawn and fell in love with oncology or the, the study of cancer, as crazy as that sounds. When I was at the animal, uh, I'm sorry, when I was at Michigan State University, I um, got involved in a lot of things. I actually created the Michigan State's Pet Loss Support Group for, you know, patients and, and their families. Uh, but it's it's been great. You know, had I to do it all over again, I absolutely would. Your story is giving me goosebumps. I absolutely, no, it's just, I think it's so beautiful. And we also had another guest on the show who was telling about her story. And it, I love stories where we can see what is meant for us won't miss us. And then like, we are always at the right time at the right place. And, and life has our back and it's always like 10 steps ahead planning. So whenever you do an externship, it is planning for you to one day, you know, like something bigger. So I love when we walk through doors that actually they turn into gates and then we, that, yeah, that we, as long as we follow our heart and our calling, 
and our identity, the way you call it, even if we have some naysayers or doubts, even from people that are close to us, because I know that's really hard. So I love that. And you also talked about your pet loss group. Pet loss group. So I think it was 30 years ago, as far as I remember. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm showing research. my age. Right. <laughs> no, yes. You're very young. But you, it was, it's very forward thinking for back then. Especially, I can imagine people back then were not acknowledging enough the importance of also grieving pets. It's much better now, but I can imagine back then, wow, like people just couldn't understand. I'm wondering what challenges had, did you face when starting that initiative? So you are spot on, Sarah, right? Because it wasn't even socially acceptable to talk about the loss of your dog. Heaven forbid, you know, grieving your dog. It, they were seen, and, and it's a maybe a horrible analogy, but I always likened it to more like, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I have an old boat. I'm just going to go get a new one. Just go get a new dog, right? And yet we know that these living, breathing, loving creatures are not just replaceable as a thing, um, but that they're part of our family. And the reason that I started it is because when I was a senior veterinary student, I was always following around the senior clinician and perhaps he or she would give sad news and it might be about kidney disease or, you know, heaven forbid the dog was hit by a car and these families, tears would be rolling down their cheeks and the white lab coat arms were right by his or her side, right? And it just seemed so cold to me uh, that I couldn't believe we didn't have this. And so I went to one of my professors and I said, hey, you know, can I start this? Can I do this? And they said, that's a great idea, sure. And we opened it up or I opened it up. I remember I made these sort of announcement cards and it was, it didn't matter, you know, if it was you were um, sad about your horse or your lizard or your dog or your cat or your bunny, anyone could come. It was great. We had it, I think it was on like the second and third, no, second and fourth Thursdays of every month, which it's still in existence today. Um, I did raise some money to get a um, counselor, a therapist who specialized in bereavement. And then I realized that I was gonna be done at the university in a little under a year. So I was able to get a lot of donations because I really wanted this to keep going. And it's just so heartwarming to know that it is still uh, in existence. And in fact, um, people can just um, remote Zoom in. You don't have to be in Michigan to go. You don't have to have one of your pets, um, you know, treated there. This is open to anyone and everyone. I love that. We will also later on put in our show notes, the link so people can, you know, um, get more information sure, yeah. about it. And I, I found it very interesting. I did like a lot of research on grief in the United States and it was so interesting. There were so many books about pet loss. And I oh, yes. really love that because, so I, I'm Austrian, so I'm from Europe and grief, I would say we're a little behind when it comes to a few things. <laughs> and especially when it comes to grief, we are probably not yet as open as in the US. And then seeing it's not just 
people writing about it and talking about it, but also including the pets. It was so heartwarming for me. And I love that yes. even more when I read in your book that you're not, um, not just talking about life lessons, but also giving support to people once the life, you know, the physical life at least of their loved companion has ended. This actually leads me to your book. Uh, you wrote an am amazing book. It's called Sit, Stay, Heal. And I want to actually tell you the story how I got your book. So I was walking on Manhattan Beach and I really wanted a new book. I w and I found this independent bookstore. Very nice. You know, like the ones that still do handwritten cards and say why they love a book. So I walked yes. in and... Uh, as a coach, I'm usually reading a lot of like resilience books, stress management, and you know, like leadership. But I, I told the store owner, I said, I want to read something else like that is heartwarming, that doesn't make me too much cry. <laughs> I said, I don't want to read a novel, but I want that it's giving me some meaning for life. So not just like a love story. Like a love story. Uh -huh. And he looked at me, I think he was like, oh gosh. <laughs> That would be difficult to find a book for that girl. And he gave me your book. Oh yes. my goodness. Now I have chills. That's the best. Thank <laughs> he you gave for me that. your book. And I was like, yeah, that That's sounds like great. I do think that we can learn so much from animals, particularly from dogs, if we slow down and are mindful of their gifts and what they teach us. We can just be so much happier, not just with ourselves, but with them and everyone around us. So I started reading the book, but I, the only expectation I had was getting life lessons. But I must say, your book is so well-rounded. It is really amazing because you combine really great facts about cancer and being a vet. Like, so the medical side with those heartwarming life lessons and also the support system you have and also families' needs, plus your own personal story. So I was just mm -hmm. throughout the book, going from chapter to chapter, I was like, wow, this book is giving me more and more. It's almost like going into a store and you think you go in for one thing and the further down you go, you're like, wow, all of this is in this book. So I, there's so much I want to talk about with this book, but maybe we can talk about, so for everyone who hasn't read it yet, there are many dogs that you're writing about and what they you know, like they're wonderful souls and what they can teach us about life. And I would love to talk about Daisy, if that's okay. Could you yes. share a little bit about her? She is an emotional support dog for Kathy, who at that time was a young girl who uses a wheelchair. And I was deeply touched and moved by their story. Yeah. yeah. So for the listeners who don't know, everything is a true story, right? So these are all my actual patients. And Daisy, it was a 10-year-old overweight Cocker Spaniel who comes in dressed as Elsa from Frozen in her sort of blue, you know, princessy icy dress. Uh, and sort of, you know, who's holding on to the end of that leash is this mother who just really, I can't believe she's not frazzled. She's 
you know, holding the leash, carrying the x-rays, carrying her purse, and pushing this very large wheelchair with her nine-year-old daughter, who is held in place with safety belts. Um, Kathy was actually adopted when she was quite young from Indonesia, and she is has a tremendous amount of special needs. She cannot speak. She cannot eat by mouth. She's fed with a feeding tube in her stomach. She really cannot use her, her hands or her arms or her legs, um, hence the safety belts in the wheelchair. And the most incredible thing about this girl is that the minute she smiles, she lights up the entire room. And you can communicate just in that. Uh, she absolutely loves Daisy or uh, uh, Disney princesses, and Elsa is her favorite, hence Daisy would come in often dressed as Elsa. Unfortunately, Daisy the Cocker Spaniel had a type of cancer called lymphoma, which is the most common cancer that we see in dogs and cats. In dogs, it often presents as big lymph nodes around the body. And I remember going through all of the information with the family thinking, you know what, they're never gonna be able to come back for chemo, how can they do this? And one of the first things that Kathy's mom said to me is, you know, basically, Doc, you gotta keep her alive. She is my daughter's constant companion. She never leaves her side. And what is interesting is despite Kathy not being able to speak a single word, Daisy, her dog, knew exactly what she was saying. A little bit spoiler alert, one of the things that I didn't realize until I had gotten to know them for quite a while, and Daisy did great for three years, graduated, like didn't miss a beat. But what I learned was that Kathy also had uncontrolled seizures or epilepsy despite medication. And Daisy, having no formal training whatsoever, became a seizure alert dog for the family so that the parents would know when this was happening, they could go to her, they could get her out of the wheelchair, put her on her side or administer medications. And she became this invaluable part of their community. Um, you know, what I always thought was interesting is in Frozen, right? Elsa creates by manipulating ice and snow, this magical, better world. And Daisy dressed as Elsa did that, I'm gonna cry did the exact same thing for that family. That's so beautiful. And yeah. this is just one out of all the great stories you have in the book. And so I think I don't even need to explain more why everyone should read this book or listen to the audio because it's, it is brilliant. And it's a book. I, I keep coming back to the book and it's something I'm that it's incredible. I wonder, when you started writing, you started book, writing. Mm -hmm. and also now looking back, what part of you has healed through writing the book and oh. talking about it and, you know, all the right. promotion journey and like getting yes. messages from readers, like what part in you yes. has healed? Oh, all right. So I have to tell you, I have done like 135 either TV things or interviews. Nobody has asked me that question. <laughs> That's a great question. I think as I was writing it, and I'm totally type A, which is a good thing and a bad thing, I, I 
loved it, right? It was my passion. I would work diligently and I had a word count number that I strove to reach every single day. And sometimes I didn't make it and sometimes I did much better than that. So I averaged out to about my number, um, but it was exhausting. I felt like I had run a marathon every single day, even though my rear end didn't leave the seat that I was sitting on because it was such an emotional journey. Um, it wasn't hard in the sense of length of time to write. And I really think it's because it is true, right? And so I do have this great memory, which is also a blessing and a curse. And I was able to just remember and I could hear the inflections and how the different pe parents would speak. Um, but I didn't expect a few things. Uh, at the time I had actually left my job and I had a non-compete and I realized that the thing that I love most about my job is not just getting to work with animals because there's so many things we can all do with animals and that I do, you know, do other things, but I loved being able to sit next to those families and to understand sort of the whys as to why they're choosing to treat and to make their lives better by making their pet better. That just fills me right back up because it's a hard topic. And I didn't realize that when I would go out and lecture that I was still touching those families in the same way. This does speak to my age and is a little embarrassing, but before the book, I never did any social media. And HarperCollins flipped and said like, what, you have to do social media, you know, the whole thing. So I did social, or I do social media, but these terms are still new. So, you know, like when I say someone DM'd me, it just feels so weird, but I had so many, you know, people that I didn't know that DM'd me about the book. And I thought, sure, it'll appeal to dog lovers or those into the human animal bond, or if their lives were touched with cancer. So many other people reached out to tell me how it helped them in many different ways. And, you know, if my book can continue to do that in this world, then I think that's just, I'm so grateful it's the best blessing that it could be. Oh, you know what else? This is a horrible thing. I can't believe I'm admitting this. <laughs> this is a terrible thing, but it's true. And so, you know, I bared my soul. It's, it's, the book is sold in Europe and in Asia. So everyone knows about, you know, having uterine cancer. So I may as well add this. It, doing those events made me realize that people do want to hear what I have to say that there is value and we should all feel that even at times perhaps when we don't ah that's so beautiful did you have doubts when right when writing the book like was there a little voice in you that said who am i to share the stories who am i like for people to read to read it i'm not an author like is that because i know you have obviously published a lot of medical research yeah. but <laughs> writing a book that's in a bookstore is very different have you had this nagging little, little voice that you had to shut down 
Um, that's a great question. Truly, no one's asked me that before. Um, I didn't because I th always thought in another life, I would love to write a book or be a book editor. But because veterinary medicine is all encompassing and exhausting and being a mom and a wife and volunteering in the community, like I couldn't imagine ever taking that time to sit down and write. I do know that um, again, because I'm just type A, I didn't want to write it and have it just be for me, right? And really have it go nowhere. I journal, I have a gratitude journal. I don't need to continue to write and do more things for me. I really wanted uh, it to be published and I was very fortunate about that. But I never told anyone that I wanted to write a book, you know, aside from like a journal article. And when I got the C word, as I call it, um, because I didn't have any social media, I took to emailing basically our closest friends and family, and it ended up morphing to be about 75 people. And I did that because it was too exhausting to constantly text or email or take phone calls from people who truly cared, wanting to know how I was doing or where I was in my treatment. It was just too draining. So every couple of weeks, I would write to everyone. And I want you, everyone to know, like if you ever get those kinds of emails, they, the replies that I received were lifelines to me because I could read it when I was maybe stronger, not feeling sick. I could reread it as many times as I needed to. And it gave me strength, right? They were words of encouragement and love. And it filled me up. So many people also said, did you ever think about writing a book? You really should write a book. One of those uh, people was my son's friend's mother, because I started to include them because my son, you know, our house was where the boys congregated and they needed to know why Peter's mom was laying on the sofa with straggly hair. And um, she's a, actually a famous literary agent in New York City. And she would even, you know, write back, have you ever thought about writing a book? You should write a book. Blew them all off, convalesced, you know, went back to work. I might see someone in the grocery store. People would say, have you started writing? And, you know, still blew them off. Then my husband and I went uh, to Rhode Island for a long weekend, and that was back when, well, they still do, I guess, you get the newspaper at your hotel room door, which is such a luxury, like I never realized how fun it is. Um, I always and only read two categories. One are the comics, and the other is my horoscope, right? The two most important parts of the paper. And swear to God, under my horoscope for Scorpio that day, it said, you should begin writing your book. And two days later, I started. I'm, I'm just so glad you did. I am so, so, so glad. Thank you. And it's, it's I, I think even the way, like your journey of the book is very similar to how you became a vet. Like, I just think like you, the life gives you all these signs from all sides. And I think we all get these signs. You have the courage to listen and then to also follow through. And that's some, and that's and what that's is some. also one of the many reasons why I introduced you as a warrior. And another reason is I want to read something from the book. So you already mentioned that you were diagnosed with cancer yourself and you wrote in the book and it says, since my own diagnosis, everyone I interact with 
tells me how strong I am and that they would crumble if they were in my shoes. Is that what someone should say to a person going through this? I wonder that they are strong. And when I say, I think you're a warrior, for me, the first thing that comes to mind actually isn't strength in the kind of what most people think about, like, oh, she managed to take care of everything and like still keep it together. For me, it's more, and a little spoiler alert, you wrote how you accept that the help of, of others. And that's something where I think is one of your biggest strengths that I can read in the book is, you know, like letting your guards down and saying, okay, guys, now it's probably my time to receive. And that's one of the big reasons. And I wonder, because he says, I wonder, is that what a person really should hear? What is your answer to that? I think until someone's been through it, there really isn't anything else to say except to be present for them. Like I, for me, embarrassment and pride, I'm not a very prideful person actually, but it went, they went out the window. I, it's not easy for me. It's easier now, but it's not always so easy for me to accept help from others. And I think as women, that tends to just be a resounding theme, right? We do for others. We do for our girlfriends, our spouses, our children, our pets. We give our all to our jobs. And so often there's so very little left to give back to ourselves. In fact, and I probably are gonna get to this, but one of the life lessons in the book, learning from dogs, is the sanctity of self-care. I never took pleasure in that. I, I sort of even poo-pooed that, but it's so very important because we can't continue to give unless we're coming from a place of strength ourselves. And it used to be that my self-worth or self-esteem came from checking things off my to-do list. You know, there was never a nap on my to-do list or, or, you know, even sometimes just getting a manicure is taking 45 minutes out of your week to just sit and, and do something or doing a meditation with a guide or on your, you know, on an app on your phone just to sort of recenter is so important. Um, and if you think about it, dogs will lay anywhere if they need to sleep. They're not, they don't care and they treat themselves well. You know, I might have, you know, my dog, I have a don't ask, don't tell policy in my house where she she's a boxer. She's not allowed up on furniture, but I know that my girlfriend gets up on the furniture um, or she'll get up on my new sofa that has a new sort of chenille blanket on it. Now, I'm not using the blanket because I want to save it, but I'm not saving it really for anything. She's enjoying that and feeling good in doing that. And we should do the same for ourselves. Do you think self-care was one of the biggest lessons you got to learn when having cancer yourself? Yes. Amongst a few others as big ones, but yes. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I probably still would have gotten it. You know, I don't believe that me slowing down or, or anything would have necessarily changed that. 
but I certainly didn't listen to my body when it was telling me it was tired or even, you know, when you're sick and this is pre-COVID, of course, you go into work, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. What helps you now? Because I know if you're a to-do, like you're like, I, I get everything like done. You're super quick. <laughs> it's hard to miss that. <laughs> And this is in your DNA. So now in 2024, what helps you when you have this to-do list person knocking on your door again? What helps you to be like, okay, I got to listen to my body. Today, my body is more tired than usual. Let's slow down. What are a few things that help you doing that? All right. So this is embarrassing, but I actually, if I know I'm going into a bad period, I will write it on my to-do list to rest or, <laughs> right. So I'll, I'll enjoy checking it off when it's done, but it puts it on there as a, a gentle reminder. Uh, I think learning, setting the boundary to set boundaries more right? Mm -hmm. That if this is something where I just need to be curled up in a big chair with a book that I am doing that, you know what? I really just need an hour. It's not too much for me to ask. It's my life. And I think so much of my life, I didn't really think it was my life, if that makes sense. Mm, wow. That's really deep. And it's so true. Like we feel We tend to feel guilty if we take a nap, if we go to the manicure, if we just, you know, on a Friday afternoon, like we read a book and we read a book that doesn't contribute to our work. Like it's, it's just how society also wires us and that, yes. you know, they want us to be always achieving. And yeah. I think actually one of the biggest work or one of the biggest things we can do to strive at work is to rest. I am so much more productive, focused, better not dreading the task at hand if I actually approach it rested. And, you know, being that you're from Austria, you know, even just the amount of vacation days that the average European gets from their job versus the amount of vacation days. I think the average, I, I looked it up, it was in the United States, it's um, 14. And in Europe, I think 25. some countries, mm -hmm. yes, right. <laughs> it's, it's great. That's, that's value. That's a priority. I think it should be valued more and a priority here as well. It's so interesting. Like when I look at all my clients and most of them are high performers, like you are, and it's also rest vacation. It's all like very much on the bottom of the to-do list, if even on the to-do list. And one of the very first things I actually do with them is not just working on routines and habits, but is the mindset, you know, the belief we have about rest. And for some, it yes. might be it's selfish. And for yes. others, it's yep. I'm only loved when I am achieving something. So I think yeah. the main thing really is about coming to the, our belief system when it comes to rest and recharging our batteries. And what are the limiting beliefs we have to let go of them? Because otherwise we always feel guilty when we lie on the, on the sofa and then it's not really recharging because we're like staring, okay, a half an hour, when is it an hour? <laughs> you know, it doesn't, doesn't really help. And 
This actually brings me to my next question. I'm a huge believer. One of the biggest gifts we can offer for our animals, especially for our dogs, is taking care of ourselves. Because our well-being very much affects their well-being. And, um, and I'm coming to you, like your experience in that in a minute. But I've seen so many of my clients, when they have problems with their digestive system, the dog has something similar. When they're stressed, the dog is stressed. Like it's on emotional, mental, and physical oh, level, how they're mirroring them. And I read about yeah. this study from a Swedish university where researchers have found that the dogs, the dog stress levels were greatly influenced by their owners. So they looked at the hair concentration of the stress hormone, like cortisol in both yeah. the dogs and the owners, and they checked them twice a year. So once in winter and once in summer. And the cortisol levels were synchronized with the owners. Wow. Isn't this like insane? I was like, it totally yes. makes sense, but that it even can Absolutely. be measured. I right. love the study. So yes. I wonder how do you see you as a vet, as a like when it comes to mirroring comes and to how mirror. our stress really impacts the health and the mental and emotional well-being of animals. It totally does. And like for dogs with separation anxiety right now, certainly not all dogs with separation anxiety, but there are so many dogs that I will see that are so anxious and their pet parent is the exact same way. And I think they just pick on that up on that frenetic energy uh, because they mirror so much for us. You know, going back to Daisy the Cocker Spaniel, I did leave out that she herself had epilepsy as well. Uh, so she had seizures. Thankfully, hers were, were well controlled. Um, but I believe as part of that whole, that cortisol study and everything, which is fascinating, um, that dogs possess this sixth sense to see us um, and to see you know, one another better than we can see each other, but also better than we can sometimes see ourselves. And they know more things, I think, about us than we would admit um, or maybe don't even realize about ourselves. So they do pick up on all of that. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's and then the really benefits. Incredible. It is. And then the benefits go the other way, right? People who live with animals, how much healthier they are, you know, and all these different parameters, cholesterol and blood pressure, you know, go down and your dopamine levels and, you know, oxytocin levels go up. It's just incredible. And Renee, you currently have a dog, right? A boxer? I do. Yes. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your dog? Oh my goodness. So she has brought such joy. We had lost our previous boxer and, you know, I'm someone who tends to need to to mourn and grieve for a while, but you know, after a certain amount of months and everything, we were really in the market. And of course, it was during COVID, and you know, there wasn't a shelter around that had another boxer. I love boxers. I've had five of them in my life. They just fit really, really well with me. Unfortunately, they are one of the number one breeds that get cancer. It is genetics in since the 50s, but they are just great. 
And I ended up finding this four and a half year old female. I had never had a female. I had had five males before and she had had two litters of puppies, you know, so her, her mammary glands or her teats were hanging down. And what I never knew, and here I've been a veterinarian for decades, I never realized that people don't want to adopt female dogs that have had puppies because they have sort of those hanging down teats and they don't like it, or they'll get them removed. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's horrible, right? And so, as a boxer, she's a little wrinkly and drools a little bit and has a little gray around her muzzle and had, you know, had was just spayed. And I felt like this is my my little soulmate right now. We're, you know, two women a little bit older and hopefully I'm not drooling just yet. But I had the similar surgery and she truly has brought and continues to bring such joy to all of our lives. It's It's been great. She's, oh, she's made my life better. Such a beautiful story. What's your dog's name? Dusty. Dusty. Uh, short for Stardust. My son loves, you know, space and cosmology and all that. Oh, I love that. And yeah. isn't it incredible how, like, I always believe dogs find us. Totally. Yes. <laughs> I agree. So it it kind of leads us to a little bit of a sad thing, you know, People say, oh my gosh, isn't it so hard being a veterinarian and, and having to euthanize? And I think the hardest thing is to go through it with your own animal. As a veterinarian, I get teary and cry sometimes every single week. Um, but to not only go through it yourself, but then to do it with your own child is really, really hard, right? Because as a parent, you want to be the mama bear or papa bear and protect them. And yet they need to feel these feelings in order to, to heal, in order to grow and mature. And when I was going through that with our previous dog and my son, I told him, and I firmly believe this, that I, you know, we all want our dogs or cats to live so much longer than their natural lifespans, but their natural lifespans are so much shorter than ours. But I firmly believe that each dog is put into our lives at just the right time, at just the right moment to teach us something, to fill us up. Sometimes not having any clue that I needed to learn that lesson or that it was gonna improve my life in such a different way. And so I'm so fortunate to have had these dogs in my life that have taught me. And, and while it doesn't make the pain of the loss go away, hopefully it is truthfully consoling enough to realize, you know, it's, it's, there's a, a whole bigger picture in this universe. And, and we're just fortunate to be a part of, of, of that. It's so, so touching. And I deeply resonate with the bigger picture. And sometimes we, sometimes it might even take years to understand why did we meet that dog at that time? You know, whether it's someone, some of your patients or a dog you have yourself or someone else's dog. And even with people, I think that's actually a universal um, philosophy is anything and anyone is here to teach us something. 
something. And sometimes it might sometimes take time to understand that lesson. And what I find very interesting, find very so in traditional Chinese medicine, they say the male energy is, you know, like doing and achieving and making, and the female energy is like resting and self-care and introspection. And I find it very interesting that you had male dogs throughout your life. And oh. after you you know, like took more focus and priority in self-care that you chose a female dog. Of course, it could be a coincidence, but that was my first thought. I was like, wow, I think like, you know how we talked before about mirroring the energies and everything yes. that even could be the case. That's fantastic. I love that thought. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. And you talked about like for boxers that because of the genetics that they're more likely to get cancer. I wonder, could you talk about what are other th factors that, you know, can, ca can cause cancers in dogs? And is there also a good way of prevention? Those are great questions. So in part, animals get more cancer now because they're living longer, right? The longer we all live, the greater our chance of getting cancer every single day in all of our bodies, no matter our age, we have almost missteps in our DNA, right? Where there's a cell that is aberrant, abnormal, not functioning as it should. And when we're younger, our body is able to deal with it faster. They, it either fixes that you know, part of the DNA or it causes that cell to die, right? It's called apoptosis, programmed cell death. But just like when you get a skinny when you're five versus when you're 75, when you're a five-year-old, that skinny heals a lot quicker than when you're 75. So when you're older, your body is much slower to first of all, be aware of that genetic change. It is also much slower in fixing it. So there's a chance that the cancer cells could grow. In the 50s, the boxers became a very healthy breed. I'm sorry, not a very healthy breed. They became a very popular breed. And so there are a lot of recessive genes bred into them. There are a lot of backyard breeders who weren't necessarily looking at the health and the conformation of the dog. They were just looking to have puppies. And those genes have been perpetuated throughout decades. So Really, for those of you who do want to go get a purebred dog uh, versus a mix, and there's benefit to, to all dogs, so it's all good, but um, it's really not your breeder's fault. It's something that goes back many, many generations. One of the things that I recommend to people is if they are going to a breeder, you know, obviously you want to meet the puppy's dad and mom, you know, the sire and the dam, but you want to find out what the grandparents died from and how old they were. Because the parents are young, right? They're healthy. But likely what is gonna to happen to your puppy is what happened to the four sets of grandparents and find out you know, how old they were. In terms of other things to look for, early detection is always the best, just like it is for us. So if you notice something new, if you notice a new lump or bump, take it to your veterinarian, they can aspirate it, which is putting a needle in, taking out some cells, sending that off to the laboratory. Because lots of times if it's benign or a fatty sister lipoma, there's no need to remove it in general. Um, but if it's not, you wanna get it when it's little, not when it's really big. Um, things like, 
you know, is my dog sleeping more? More than just because he's getting older or because it's winter or is he off by himself more? Do I notice that he has some exercise intolerance? He used to always chase the ball and now he's not doing it. Is he or she drinking more water than normal or having to go outside more frequently to go to the bathroom? A lot of times it's hard for us when we're living with someone to notice if they've gained or lost weight. But when you put the collar on to take him for a walk, is it looser, right? Or is the harness looser? That would be an indication that they've lost weight, perhaps despite having a, a normal appetite. Here's another question I will ask people on a first visit when they first come to see me and I'll ask them a series of questions and I'll say, oh, how's your dog's or your cat's appetite? And they'll be like, oh, it's fine, it's great. Now, I can tell that there's muscle wasting and they're thin. And, and I'll change the question a little bit and I'll say, are they eating their regular dog food or their little cat kibble? And then I'll get, oh no, he hasn't eaten that in months. He'll only eat chicken and some of, you know, this and that. Um, so your dog's or your cat's appetite isn't really normal. You know, it's when I'm sick, I don't want to have a salad or something like that. I might only want, you know, a cup of soup or some crackers or some sort of comfort food. These are things to be aware of. And is there anything that you would say we could do as dog parents for prevention when it comes to like, you know, a certain diet and exercise, love, yeah. of course, and reducing the stress. Yes. So what, totally. what in your experience, could you see like any parallels when you, when you see healthy dogs, like, is there any right. indicators? Right. So, and also just because someone has certain, like a genetic tendency for something, you also have to have the right environment in your body, in your cells. So how you treat your body or how you help treat your animal's body makes a big difference. One of the things that has been proven time and again is that overweight or obese animals get more disease get more cancer, have shorter lifespans than animals who are of correct weight, you know, or are a little bit slender. Just like in people, that makes a difference. Feeding a very well-balanced, um, nutritious and complete food makes a difference. Um, something that, you know, a lot of times there's bad type diets. A lot of companies now are, are promoting a grain-free diet. We have to remember that dogs and wolves in the wild are actually not carnivores. They're omnivores, so they are meant to eat everything. And there are some dogs, not all dogs, but some dogs that are on a grain-free diet that now are getting a type of heart disease called dilated cardiomyopathy because they're missing key nutrients in that food. So it, it makes a big difference. I know that there are some people that really just prefer to home cook for their, for their pets. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as they're following a very scientific, veterinary approved um, diet because dogs need different things than we do. For instance, if we don't get vitamin C, we get scurvy, right? And our teeth fall out. And yet dogs never need to ingest an orange or vitamin C because their body naturally makes it. However, their body needs things that our body doesn't need. 
So it's really important that for people who do home cook, that they are following a veterinary approved, or even a veterinary nutritionist's diet when they're cooking. Yeah, nutrition is a huge thing. I think both with humans and animals, like diet is so important and it's such a key factor and it's really good to invest the time and the money to get good advice on it and also to monitor and see how is my dog reacting to it because I know so in my our family in Austria my, my my parents we have a chocolate brown Labrador Henry and when we when we changed the diet like we could still see okay he's not gaining weight his like coat doesn't look shinier so we also knew okay just because the dietitian is recommending that like we got to go back and say okay like the signs are not like just because you think it's the right thing doesn't mean it is. So it's really important to have that feedback loop with someone that you trust and go back and say, okay, because the coat is a big thing. Also, how much they yeah. poop, how much they the poop. texture, yes. the texture, you know, like all yep. these things and just to have more awareness around that topic. And you said what I found interesting about the vitamin C that in some components, we are very different, like dogs and, and humans. And you wrote in your book, it's a little bit different, but what really struck me when you said that most dogs and cats don't lose any hair when they have chemotherapy. Correct. And yes. it's just, it, like, could you share for our audience why that is? Because I'm sure a lot of yes. people love to know that. Yes. So I also tell people your next door neighbor's dog could be on chemotherapy you likely would have no idea. How chemotherapy in general works is it targets the fastest growing cells. In general, the fastest growing cells are the cancer cells, but in people and animals, fastest growing cells are also the cells in your bone marrow, which makes red cells, white cells, and platelets, and your intestinal cells, the cells in your intestines and stomach, and for people, your hair. Because if you think about our hair, it grows and grows and grows and grows. It never stops. Whereas 95% of breeds like your chocolate lab, his hair, Henry's hair grows to a certain point and then it stops. You never have to take him to the barber to get it cut. Um, that's why the chemotherapy doesn't really target his fur. Dogs that people get because they have allergies to dogs, such as the Poodle or the Bichon Freeze, um, even some Doodles will lose their fur on chemotherapy because it's more like a person's where it continues to grow and that's why they have to get them clipped. Um, a dog would never go bald. They might just lose their hair around their muzzle. It would look like their muzzle was shaved. And then for Poodles, instead of having that nice tight crimp or that curl, it would grow out. It looks like a perm that's growing out. So it'd be soft and wavy, sort of how they looked when they were puppies. For everyone who has all the doodles, and there certainly are a lot of doodles out there, it really depends how much poodle is being exhibited in that dog versus how much golden or Labrador or burner, you know, is, is in that dog, which is actually the same case when it comes to being hypoallergenic. Not all doodles are created the same. And some are good for people with allergies and others will, will cause people to have allergies. It's amazing how much knowledge you have. And there's another question I have regarding that. So 
Sometimes at your job, it must be very difficult telling people the news that their love dog has cancer. How do you tell, like, how do you keep an open heart and have empathy while still pairing it with medical reality? So a few people have asked me sort of what was your biggest life lesson when you were going through veterinary school? And it was sort of an anti-lesson. I was, again, a senior student following around a very senior clinician, and I'd see him give some sad news to people. And I remember it was this one family, it was at Christmas, and they were all very teary. And I got a little misty, and and it had nothing to do with cancer. And then the family left, and the veterinarian says, you know, Renee, Renee, come here. And he pulled me aside in the back. He's like, you know, don't worry about this. You know, in a few years, you'll toughen up. You'll see, you know, this won't affect you so much. And I thought, oh my God, if this ever doesn't affect me, then that's when I need to stop doing what I'm doing because, I don't know, we're all people. We have to feel if we don't, we lose our compassion. We lose our empathy. And so I do tend to feel all my feelings at work. You know, kind of, I think what comes through in the book is that I have this incredible work team, sort of, you know, my my dysfunctional work family, if you will. And I don't know if you know this, but there is um, a very high suicide rate in the veterinary profession. I probably know maybe five or six veterinarians that have died by suicide. It's very stressful. And, you know, certainly doing cancer is not easy and it's not easy for the team, but I think it's so important. First of all, at least society now is recognizing this and, you know, there are movements called not one more vet trying to help, but also having this open dialogue with your team and talking about the euthanasia that just occurred, you know, sometimes hugging each other. Sometimes some people would need to go into the bathroom by themselves, but everyone does it differently. But then also celebrating the good, the fact that we gave them, you know, another summer or three more years and, you know, they really wanted their dog to be in their wedding and that did happen and and all these wonderful things. It's so important. Um, I think as veterinarians for our staff, um, and just for society, we we need to lead by example and not brush these feelings under the carpet, um, but be willing to be brave to talk about them um, in a silly way, but in a totally true way. Sometimes I know if I'm going to have a really bad, you know, or hard day, challenging day at work, we'll put on some music and turn it up in the back, right? Or It'll be 8.30 in the morning and I'll say, team, where are we ordering lunch today? I'm buying lunch because it gives them some something to look forward to as a good thing. You said how important it is to lead by example. I think our audience can see and hear and feel how much you are leading by example. And also with your book, you show how good you are at looking at the good things and find the gifts in the hardship. And that's why I really recommend the book for everyone to read it. And we could go on for hours, but I want to be mindful of your time. And that's why we'll wrap it up with a little Q and A about dogs. So you told us that you have Dusty. What is one of the reasons you are grateful for your dog? Oh my goodness. I am grateful. There's a whole list. 
because she is my unbridled companion, gives me unconditional love. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. There are the unconditional love is really one of the biggest things, like no matter what we do and they love us regardless with her, without her, like in a good mood and a bad mood. It's just, yeah, it's really unconditional love. If you could ask your pet a question, what would it be? My gosh, if I could ask Dusty a question, well, I sort of did that little spoiler alert. I one time went to a dog psychic because I did want to know what my dog was thinking. And it was fascinating. It was the best $50 I had ever spent in my entire life. But I think what I would ask Dusty came out in that psychic reading with a, a dog many, many dogs ago is what her purpose is in my life. Uh, because looking back, each dog I can see now, hindsight's 2020, had a different purpose. And from that psychic, I learned what, what Blitzen, my previous dog's purpose was. I would want to know what hers is in my life. So I'm going to pivot the, la the last um, dog question now. What did the psychic say was the purpose of your last dog in your life? To be my rock, to, to give me strong, consistent, loving male energy. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so, and it's so nice that as a vet, you also are open to other practices and something that's not written in the book and where there's no scientific proof for it. And I, that's some, another thing I really admire about you. And could we ask you for maybe two or three sentences, what do you think about our podcast and our show? Oh my gosh. So I have been watching your previously taped, you know, the ones that, that I can get. Your podcast is inspiring. It is genuine. It is heartfelt. It is clear that with each guest that you have and each of the different topics that you are all in, you truly believe in what you're talking about, what you're, you know, interviewing someone about, and that you want to make life better right? You want to make people's lives better. And that really comes through. I can't say that for every one and everything that I've come across in my path, but Sarah, your light shines through. Ah, uh, thank you so much. It means double to me. I, I have a screensaver and says, be the light so others can see it. So oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I'm even more deeply moved and touched by what you just said. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to say it's, it's really a heartfelt mission of us to make sure we make people and their pets feel better and that we have a great time together and that we can learn from one another. And because it's a ripple effect when we are happier and it's not just for that one dog parent plus their dog. It's for everyone around them. You know, when they go for a walk, like when they smile at someone and it, it's at work, it's with the neighbors, it's with the family. So we see that the Purple Stars family is has this power also and love that ripples throughout all sorts of countries. So that's why we are very grateful for your time. 
so, so, so grateful that you were so vulnerable and sharing your experience and let us, letting us dive into your world. So really thank you for your time, Renee. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me on. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a wrap for today, everyone. If you loved the conversation as much as we did, please share it with your family and friends. And don't forget to tag both Renee and us so we can keep the conversation going. And we will see you next Wednesday.